Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The End Credits, the podcast where two brothers discuss their thoughts on a film of their choosing. I'm Dominic. I'm Jonathan. And today we are talking about John Carpenter's American supernatural horror film, The Fog. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts first before uh, I give mine because you originally wanted to see this film first. Yeah, um... Oh man, I just felt like that there was a lot of unique things that I like that I like look for in a horror film, and I, I'm the kind of person who doesn't want. I don't want the gore. I don't want those like um, stereotypical like slasher films that have become a little bit more like commonplace. And, like your Freddy and your Jason sort of things? Yeah, and I guess the things that feel just a little bit too stereotyped because I feel like when people think of the horror genre, they think of the stereotypes. And I was trying really hard to find something that just didn't really play into that as much. And um, I felt like that this film did that. And it also just included some unique things that I just haven't seen before in a horror film that um, I just felt like set the tone and set the yeah set the set the right tone for what the film was and things that I would love to incorporate if I were to do something creative because as you know I've always wanted to I always wanted to create something <laughs> in the horror genre I always wanted to create like a either like a like a short film or something along those lines and I always wanted to do something like that so this film definitely gave me a lot of inspiration and ideas for what I would love to incorporate but like, uh, why the fog though? Why start with, uh, what brought you to, okay. Uh, I want to watch this for the podcast this week. Oh, right. Um, it was, I was one of those films where I didn't know anything about, I haven't seen it before and I knew of it. It actually, um, I actually was watching, I was in the mood for watching horror films. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I knew that I just wanted to watch something that was kind of like relevant to that early, um, the early days of the slasher film. And I I knew of a film called Prom Night, and that's actually what started it, because I watched that film, and then I was like, wow, this is really not good. <laughs> this is a really, it was an entertaining film, but it just wasn't good, okay? The only reason why I watched that film was because Jamie Lee Curtis was in it, okay? Okay. And I'm a big fan of Jamie Lee Curtis, especially from the Halloween franchise, So, which is why I watched Prom Night. But from the experience of watching Prom Night, I just didn't like how it just fell straight into stereotype. Like, the stereotype lane was crazy in that film, and it was easy to see who was going to get killed and who wasn't and, you know, all of that stuff. So... I was like, oh man, I really didn't like, I didn't like this as much as I thought I would hoped I would. So I wanted to just go back to someone that I knew, someone who I knew could tell a good story and it was in the horror genre. So I turned to John Carpenter. So I was like, okay, I've seen all, I've seen all the Halloweens and I've seen, so I was like, okay, where do I move on from here? So I looked at his, his like, uh, his body of work. So I looked at what was after Halloween and I saw that it was the fog. So I was like, why not watch that? So that's why I like, I gave it the chance and I knew of the film. I'd just never seen it. And yeah, now we're here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say like, uh, 
just like initial impressions of the film uh it has that like nostalgic that like idea upon it like yeah it's very much like i imagine watching this film on like an old you know four by three crt oh yeah in like a, a small town you know it has that like sort of vibes yeah. to it it's very like i want to say like 70s 80s uh like supernatural horror to exactly it, to it and like uh I, why i say nostalgic too just because it, it has like this like Older style feel good, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's just my initial impressions going going forward. And then, you know, we'll obviously uh, talk about it later. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let me just uh, give you some of the details. The American supernatural horror film, The Fog, was directed by John Carpenter with a release date of February 1st, 1980. Had a runtime of 90 minutes and the stars Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Lee, and Hal Holbrook. An unearthly fog rolls into a small coastal town exactly 100 years after a ship mysteriously sank in its waters. Oh wow, that was a brief description. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I chose the smaller one just because like if on Google, it's actually like a like a long paragraph and goes into like, you know, in, like in depth. Yeah, yeah, then it's like no, nah, no, nah, the shorter one gives it like still like the mysterious aspect to it. Yeah. Okay, I actually like that you picked that, um, even though we're about to ruin the entire story right. right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, going back to what you were saying, though, how it, like John Carpenter was able to utilize or be able to feel like you, you feel the sense of nostalgia from the film. And for me, like I was trying to say, I felt like, and well, I don't, it doesn't even feel like because I think it is, it's a pre, it's a pre, um, it's like a horror film pre slasher. Mm -hmm. Because slasher films are just rising at this point because Halloween was the one that set the tone for, um, you know, the slashers that were going to come and the copies that would follow it. So um, The Fog still has like this, it has this vibe that it's still like, it doesn't feed into like the, the gore fest. It doesn't feed into any of that. It doesn't feed into stereotypes. It doesn't feel extremely cheesy. It's just like a classic ghost story. Yeah, it's like I was about to say, like it's like a ghost, you know, story that, like, even in the beginning, right? They start off with like uh, by a campfire and like telling this, you know, ghost story, right? It's like, oh, it's like a short story that uh, you know you read from like uh, a book of like many short stories, right? And that's basically what the whole film feels like. I I think it captured that uh, idea immediately you know right it's like ghost story turned film and i was like okay that that like i thought that was great that's what i really liked about it because uh it was just because these are the kind of horror films that you just don't really see anymore you just don't Mm -hmm. they're like they're it always bases it's always based in a killer and then like a group of people and then that killer goes and and, you know goes after the group of people or it's like like really into the supernatural and stuff and 
Or like even like something like completely safe that get, takes over and like turns evil. Right. You know? That yeah. too. So that's why I felt like the the that the setting and the the tone of the film like gives off that sense of nostalgia and that I would even say uh, like like real it like that realism. Even like if you turn to things like the dialogue, for example, like watching it because th- I watched it before you did, mm-hmm. and um, um, and and upon watching it a second time, I realized that the dialogue is actually not like too like cheesy, and it doesn't feel too scripted. There are mom- there are definitely moments where it does feel a little bit more scripted than others. Um, like it doesn't feel like, for example. Uh, like Memento, when I was trying to t- like say that, uh, oh man, like I could just feel like this was from a script, like all every right. single line, and it just felt very like cringeworthy that like, I could tell that someone had written this. But in the fog, I, either it was just like in delivery of the performance or just a well written screenplay. I just felt like that the uh, the dialogue even is a, such a little detail that uh, is enough to make you feel. Like this story is believable, this ghost story, and oh man, I just love that. Yeah, I think for the most part, it's pretty okay. I can think of like certain scenarios where it's like, okay, that's kind of like you know cheesy, kind of weird. Like I'm thinking, you know, when Jimmy Lee Curtis came, uh, she was hitchhiking, you know, and she had this interaction with the guy at first, you know, like oh. asking, you know, are you weird or whatnot, and then he's like, oh yeah, I am. It's like. I thought that was a little bit like their whole beginning interactions were okay. a little bit like on the, the cheesy side. Like, okay, this is kind of like weird. Maybe it's also because like I know her a lot from the Halloween series. So yeah. I'm like it's, it's kind of weird seeing, yeah, this different character and everything like that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think it's like there wasn't too many instances where I'm like, okay, this is the, oh, I guess besides like the, the like always in the genre where like, you're there as the audience member wanting the actual person in the film to do something, but they they don't do it. You know, they're right. like, oh, no, everything's okay, you know? Yeah. Like, you're screaming at your television, you know, like, please do this, but you know the answers, but they don't do it. You but know? they don't know the answers. Right, right. But see, I feel like that's what I do like experiencing from a horror film, as long as it's not, as long as it's not feeding into the stereotype, because I don't want to be screaming, screaming at my TV if like the character's just absolutely like you know silly, or they just don't understand completely, and I felt like in the fog we were interacting with the characters, but it's because we cared about them. And my for me, for me, and like in my opinion, like we were interacting with the characters and trying to say you know oh don't keep that in your room or get rid of it because like we care about these characters, and uh, th- th- I think that's a completely different feeling from like. Just experiencing just a silly character who just doesn't know what they're doing and playing into the stereotype of, oh, man, I'm a carefree, uh, dumb teenager. I guess that's true. Yeah. Like uh, there is like certain instances where like, yeah, I cared about that character. So that's why I wanted them to to stay alive, quote unquote. And do something about the situation that they're in. I would say, though, like um, I guess because, you know, the fog comes and basically we're just going to say that that's the overarching like villain you know like the right. uh, the the thing you have to stay away from it's right? the threat and um like that i think that's believable for people to think that it's not 
a threat, right? Exactly. Where it's like, okay, if fog happens all the time, right? So who, who cares? Right. And even Dan the Weatherman says that. Right. And uh, I guess my only thing was when uh, when the the radio lady, what's her name? Stevie Wayne. Uh, yeah. She has this like uh, wooden plank from like uh, the ship and just you know goes on fire in her studio oh, right. i'm like throw that out instantly yeah that, that that one's a little bit for me i'm like okay no 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 i'm not dealing with this i even thought the same thing when i initially watched it i thought okay it caught on fire by itself why wouldn't you have like the i like the idea of just getting rid of it right. at that point like come on i yeah i understand um but yes again not only did the dialogue i feel like help in setting the setting and making the story even more believable and also like you just touched on the idea of the fog not feeling like a threat and like i said that dan the weatherman said um you know you've seen fog once you've seen it a thousand times Mm -hmm. and it gives off that impression that yeah what's wrong with fog it's just fog and that's what that's another thing that i love and that i'm constantly like inspired by from horror films where um like this story creates and takes this normal thing that doesn't feel threatening whatsoever, but now all of a sudden it's threatening and we have to be scared of it. And it's like, that that's interesting. Especially like when we put this ghost story behind it, it's like, okay, I can get behind that. And it's a little easier. I think nowadays, especially where, you know, instead of getting behind some like weird, like killer that's like on the loose and now we have to run from them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taking like this this normal thing that like we're we're personifying it now this fog i actually think the the idea of the fog actually helps it because if it was like let's say cuz you know how in the beginning right like uh, we just see all these like uh cars turning on and like oh, yeah. uh, everything like shaking and whatnot like for example like let's say that instead of like the fog being the threat like stuff around them just started turning on and you know like uh, doing weird things doing weird things i think that the the fog actually helps it instead of these other weird things only because like this fog is like a mysterious thing and we don't know the limits and capabilities of it right because you know it's it's in shadow right it's confusion right whereas like let's say a a all the cars you know turn against them or like all the technology pieces you know turn against them like i don't think it would have had that same feeling to it that mysterious maybe even like nostalgic old style feeling if it was those all those things technology going you know hurting them right yeah and that's only because like i feel as if we know those limits of the car the car is only gonna go certain places right right a some uh other technology piece is only going to do a certain thing, right? That they can do. Mm-hmm. But this fog is like, okay, it can go anywhere. It can like, you know, go underneath right. doors and it can engulf like an entire city. Right, right. And it can wait to do something. Right. Exactly. And, and I think that with that, uh, that like unknown element and it provides like the fear. And yeah, like you're saying, I think that if it were just the, you know, the cars and the materials and all these other things just doing strange things. It's kind of like, okay, it can only, we can only be, it's like, it's only effective for so long. Mm. And I felt like that's why I thought it was great that, that the opening scene kind of showed all that stuff and those like weird things happening. 
but that's really it because the rest of it's really about the fog and then the ghost story. And I was like, okay, that's great. But we can see how the fog is affecting the city in different ways, but it's mostly from the fog. Not only does the fog like provide and the ghost story provide this uniqueness for the film and this sort of nostalgia for just a different kind of story, but the, the main thing that I liked, and I mentioned this to you prior to watching the movie, and this is, I felt like that this is what I really wanted to convince you of of this film. Um, but the main thing that I really loved was the radio, the use of the radio and the voice. I absolutely loved it. It's in something that I've never seen in a horror film before where the radio is such a prominent component of the entire story and it's almost as if it's an it's a whole other character on its own, which technically it is. Because uh, okay, Stevie yeah. Wayne is that radio personality. Uh, Stevie Wayne being played by Adrian Bar- Barbeau, who's actually uh, John Carpenter's wife at the time. Yeah, I saw that. And um, just like this personality, but uh, even like just the radio itself. I love that. I love this like narr- there's this narrator in the background, always present, it seemed, uh, with the entire town. And that's what drew me in completely. I just loved it. That's true. I do agree with you. And like uh, somehow this radio, even though it was a like it was a character too, right? But it, like it had a different extension off of it, and it felt like it felt interconnected because everybody could listen to it right exactly. throughout the town. And obviously, we know if you watch the film, you see that it actually helps them in certain scenarios, and it's able to you know go across. Uh, people in places right exactly and uh also i guess it has like this interesting character aspect to just be able to play the music and give in some sort of like mood changing yes uh changers or like anything like that like uh, it added that characteristic like for example i think you could have had a different tone if it played different genres of music you know immediately right yeah but i think since it was this overarching character that could see basically what was happening and it had some uh, level of character through its music right. and stuff like that. It, it uh, was definitely like a, it brought you in and like, I definitely, you know, when we watched it, I was like, oh yeah, I immediately was into it. I was like, oh yeah, I need to have this. I know. I need, like real life, you know? <laughs> it's so good. I know it's so good. And I love how you brought that, um, that up with the attention and detail with the fact that like the, the persona or like the actual character can use the music as a, as a piece of like the film to change like moods and whatnot. Uh, I, I actually really liked that, that it could do that. And what was better is the fact that this radio personality is supposed to be kind of like this smooth talker and is supposed to be like smooth in the music is supposed to be relaxing. You're supposed to have a really nice night with this radio personality. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what was perfect because we set up the movie with this idea that things are going to be okay and that things are like normal and like it's just another night. It's like get calm, get comfortable. Exactly. You know, let's just go along for the ride. Right. And and it's almost like a bad thing, you know? Right. Because, you know, we can be everything but that right now, especially with the fog out there. Mm. And that's what I love. I love that contrast. I love being able to feel this feeling of like, okay, we can be on this downtime until um, something bad strikes. Yeah, I was like, uh, now thinking about it and talking about it, I was like, uh, I have that 
uh, I've gained that appreciation of the the use of like the the whole radio personality and stuff like that, and like because like I my initial impressions impressions were like uh, I like this film for the nostalgic old ghost story feel. It's like it seems like a lost art in some ways. It does. You know? Like it's of not course. really shown today, and um, I don't know. It has like this this. You, you know, going back to nostalgic, this good feeling associated with it. Mm-hmm. And then adding, you know, with this uh, use of character and, like, even the rest of the characters as oh, we, yeah. you know, go along. the It's, like, short, digestible, and all that, right? Uh, I guess, like, uh, what was, like, disappointing in, in my mind. I don't know. If, I, uh, disappointing is too harsh. I want to say, like, um, maybe it was overhyped in that scenario where I was thinking that, uh, I was going to see, like, a bunch of uh, really cool cinematic shots of some sort. I don't know why. When we were, like, thinking about watching it for the film or watching it for the podcast, uh-huh. I was, like, uh, in my mind, I was, like, okay, how is this going to be looking, you know, wise? And how is it going to, like, uh, use that camera to, like, really tell the story? And I don't think I saw anything, like, too drastic or, like, too new. It was more John Carpenter's style of showing um, er- the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was like a bad aspect or a bad like thought process to go into watching the fog because like the fog is this old school uh, ghost story that you kind of like uh, treat it as like a short little insert that you're not really gonna get too associated with like because we don't really go into like each individual character and like their daily lives like. He, like in right. like um, Halloween, for example, you know, you follow Laurie Strode, right? Basically. Yes. And this one, you don't follow people really. It's just little aspects of we're here connected in this town, but we don't need that element of like that main central character because sure. it's all about us uh, living our lives and then getting uh, this threat injected into us and then how we, you know, go about it. Right. And it's, and I think just because it has this sh- short story aspect to it, I think it like perfectly captures it in that way. So yeah, don't, I wouldn't say like go into it like, okay, you're going to see these like cool, interesting, you know, high aspect shots or whatnot. It's more about what it does right to capture this short story for this moment in time. I agree. I think that the essence of it is in the story. Not that um not that I don't think that there was interesting like shots, you know, inside of the film because I kind of I kind of felt like that there that there was, but it wasn't to the point where it felt like distracting and taking away from the actual story because like we're saying, I think that the story is that main idea and I don't think it needed to have like these cooler, interesting shots or intricate shots in order to get the story across. Right. And yeah, like you're saying, um, I felt like that there was interesting things played with like lighting. That was a thing that I thought I that was done really well. Red especially and like green tones and blue. Um, like blue in the night scenes. We have red when we were inside of when we met the boat, the, the people on the boat and the seagrass boat. Um, for that very first time, they were like completely drenched in red. And, you know, like when uh, Dan, the weatherman, went outside of his uh, his building, it was like all like covered in red and kind of like white 
with and green with the fog and that was a great like sight to see so i think that there was like cool ways of uh being able to be like engulfed in the fog and to show that off with the shots and i felt like really it was enlightening um in my opinion yeah i guess i was just for some reason i don't know why in my mind i was like uh it's gonna be the shots are gonna be basically telling the whole story throughout like okay. it's gonna be like a, a very much important part kind of like in like halloween for example maybe okay where like we see michael's point of view and it's also be showing like those uh his thought process through those sure. actual shots where in this one it doesn't really take that approach and maybe that's why i thought like okay that's going to be the best aspect where i think in this one he takes a different route you know yeah. with uh just the lightings and stuff characters and just how the the whole feel of this coastal town the um what is it called antonio bay yep yeah it's like uh it made you want to like be at this kind of place you know right you wanted to be there and uh, uh i don't know if you caught it this is in this is in like in terms of the uh in terms of the like shots and being able to show off like you know the characters in their lives i didn't even notice it the first time i only noticed this the second time um but when we see stevie wayne in her actual home and I, I didn't even notice that like when we when we were introduced to her home, we saw like a nice like pan of kind of like the, the like what's inside of her home, but we saw like these photos mm-hmm. of her and her family and uh I'm I'm assuming her husband was in the photos as well because I saw him and also like a little like short um newspaper clip that was also right there like showing off that she's the new owner of the yeah. um uh what was the radio called? KEB. Yeah, that she's the new radio owner of KEB, and I was like, "Oh, interesting! I didn't even see that little, like, snippet of material that gives me information about the character that they didn't really even spend time on telling, Mm -hmm. but they showed it, and I already got like the understanding of where she is in life and what she's done since then, and and where she is, Mm -hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that's really that's really interesting," and I didn't even pick that up the first time, and it gave me a little bit more to her character. Uh, there was even another moment too, where they briefly talked about, they briefly talked about character, and I didn't even pick it up, pick it up the first time. Yeah, I would say that you know when you're talking about this, it's like in this one, it's the surroundings that really tell the characters because we don't really get like the time to you know go into their uh, character development. It's right. where 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 are they at in certain scenarios and what do they do like exactly uh, we got a character information just with like uh, jamie lee curtis's character you know she's hitchhiking from who knows where right and right. she just comes in right and we get information on uh the one guy she's with nick nick uh you know he's like the sailor knows everybody are there and you know we get that character information there right even with like uh janet lee's character you know she surrounds herself with uh uh, Nancy Loomis and uh, basically, you know, we can tell by their interactions just what they're supposed to be and like, you know, what they do in life. Yeah, they're like, like an important to the town and like they're preparing something. You know, we that's all we really needed for their characters, and right? Even for like um, Father Malone, Father Malone. You know, <laughs> uh, he's in the church and you know he's supposed to be that like priest, uh, you know, pastor sort of character in our film, and we kind of like get his understanding just simple you know like uh, he doesn't really leave and like when we do see him you know 
uh, it's just those things that he interacts with people and we understand his character just a little bit more. Exactly. And shout out also to John Carpenter himself because he actually has a cameo in the beginning yeah. of the film. Uh, funny enough, his name is Bennett. And what if it, what if he's Bennett Traver Malone? Oh my God! What if he's actually <laughs> Bennett Traver? What's up with him and no name Bennett? I don't know. That's hilarious. No, that, that was actually really cool that that was um, that he was in the film for a brief moment. Um, no, yeah, I, I like I like how that they use this ensemble of characters, and like you're saying, we don't really get to step inside of like their lives completely, but we get enough to where that's all we need. So that was really nice. Um, Another cool, interesting thing that I even picked up on the first time when I saw the film was the fact that Nick, his name, the character is named Nick Castle, who is the actual guy who played Michael Myers in the first in the first Halloween film. Oh, that's him, that, really? Yeah, oh, the okay. actor's name is Nick Castle, so they used his the guy's oh, real his, name oh. <laughs> as a character in the fog. That's awesome. So when he said. Uh, his name was Nick Castle when he was talking on the phone with uh, KEB. I thought that was awesome. It was a great little like Easter egg that if you knew um, the cast of Halloween, you got that little Easter egg. Oh, man. He's Michael Myers from a while. Yeah. Crazy. So I was like, wait a minute. Nick Castle, that's a real guy. He's the guy who played. He's the actor who played Michael Myers in the first Halloween. That's hilarious. You know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis right there, too. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I love I love that. uh John Carpenter like used these people who he also used in Halloween and, you know, gave like these little like tidbits to the audience and maybe it wasn't even intentional. He just needed a good name. Right. And, you know, he just used his friends. He's like, oh, and, that's normal enough, you know, to be in this, you know. Right. <laughs> in, in the story. And uh, I, I like that a lot. So I, I like this attention to just using things that he knows like that it's from his friends. So like, I just, I like that little, uh, information. Um, I also really liked moments where this goes back to like the dialogue of the fog. I just really loved like these different scenes between either like, uh, just like between characters. Um, I really love the relationship between Dan and, uh, and Stevie Wayne, even though there really wasn't like one, it was only like across the phone. Oh yeah. But I really love this playfulness between Dan and Stevie Wayne. It was such a great, like great chemistry. And, uh, Dan is played by, uh, uh, Charles Cyphers, the guy who played Lee, uh, Brackett in the first Halloween. Mm -hmm. And that was like kind of cool to see him return. But I love this dynamic between the two characters and they also help each other out in the story, which is what gives, the radio personality Stevie Wayne enough information to like spread around the town because she's like in like you know working with Dan who is the weatherman for the city or the town and it was kind of cool like seeing like whenever Dan would tell Stevie something Stevie would like uh, like say it on the radio and relay it to everyone and all that information to not only people in the town but the uh, uh, the the people who were out on sea and. I just like like this this um this connection with everyone. It was great. I was actually thinking when you were saying that like uh how uh I was basically thinking back like uh, why these sort of stuff isn't like shown today and like why we can't have this like certain certain scenarios. Uh -huh. And I think with like the whole what the not the weather, the the radio personality, right? And like uh you know how like uh during the film, the power lines go off and all the power, you know, oh, happens. Right. And yeah. like, uh, uh, 
the radio is like the only way that these people can interact and it's really cool and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And like uh, obviously like today cell phones kind of ruin this whole idea. Right. Like, yes. It can't be this sort of thing you can't have because of cell phones and stuff like that. And like, yeah, I'm like, it's kind of sad because like, you know, in these, in these aspects, you know, we, they had to get rid of these certain scenarios, but uh-huh. uh, obviously today, you know, like, oh no, we could fix it easily, you know, throughout and it's like maybe that's why you know it has this like certain change and like certain um like stories to it. yeah, yeah. That, that that's definitely understandable it, it was a lot easier to you know get rid of something within an older horror film uh because you know technology simply isn't up to par as it is today um so that's a good thing to point out um so that means they just have to set their stories in in uh, in a previous decade. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I That's like, what we have to do. Well, like even well, maybe it's like uh, it's just yeah, it's just like the believability factor, you know, like right, yeah, and yeah, like and also going back to uh, another bit of like dialogue in the connection with characters, the scene between um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character and Nick. Uh, when they're in, when they're checking out the seagrass boat, which is his, his friends, boat, mm-hmm. um, and when they're like going down and looking inside of the, of the, of the boat, um, they're just like sitting there like and talking together. And I love this like monologue that, uh, Nick, um, gives to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. And I love, I just love the story he tells with him and his father and how, well, from what we could probably like infer, that his father once ran into the um, the fog at one point, like years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way it's told. This goes back to the idea that this realistic like dialogue that's presented in the story that just feels like something you can get behind. And you don't feel the sense of, oh man, this is from a script or this is cheesy. When you hear that monologue from uh, from Nick talking about the story i was just like oh man that's just so creepy the way he describes it it's like oh you could tell you could tell that like he was affected by it but he just didn't know what it was at the time it sounds like another ghost story to me honestly like it's in that same uh realm where it's like uh i don't i wouldn't really classify it as cheesy but like I'm like still on the like borderline, like, come on, man. You know, like, did that really happen or something, you know? Right. But like, you could tell that, especially like with the events that are happening now, that he's obviously, um, you know, a little freaked out by right. what's happened to his men, or like he doesn't really even know what's happened to them. So, him like coming up, or not coming up, or just like thinking back to that story that his father told him years ago, it was just, it was another great, um, bit of character that we can understand from Nick and uh, also just learn a little bit more about him in such a short little story. And we got a little bit more out of him. And I thought that was great. And also played into the lore of uh, Blake and the, and the, and the fog and the, you know, the men. I actually want to say like, before we actually get into like, uh, like the church scenes and you know, how, Father Malone plays into like all this. Yeah. Uh, going back to like the whole believable uh, scenarios, like uh, how many times was like uh, they knock the at the doors of people when the fog happens. All right. And then people answer it. Like I'm like, why are you answering it? Like the way they do it too, you know, like uh, I would say like, okay, first off, maybe you won't answer it. Right. It's like, right. who Who's going to be there? 
second off is like, okay, if I do answer it, I'm not going to like put like my whole body, you know, I'm just going to go through the whole door, right? I'm not going to do that, right? Right, you're just standing inside like, the door. I'm going to open it just a little, you know, a little bit or whatnot. Sure. It's like, ooh, you know, what happened? You know, these people are like, oh, who, who's there? You know, like they go all the way out, look, you know, both ways. And like, that was a little bit, I'm like, come on. <laughs> but oh, well. Yeah, I, I think that's a little bit to the point of um, we have to give a little bit of suspension of disbelief in those moments because it is a horror film and uh, we and we have to allow we have to allow some kind of, you know, uh, suspense in that moment of, oh, man, like what's out there? And I'm just yeah. like sad in that, like every character that, you know, oh, okay. opened the door did that, you know, like I think it makes sense for certain characters in order to do that, like uh, especially uh Dan, right, the weatherman. Yeah, uh, his character it makes sense, you know, because just because you know he acted a little bit more, you know, like, like a, a little tough, right, right, against it. Yeah, so like it made sense for him to like go all out, right? Mm-hmm. But like, uh, like the babysitter or whatnot for the kid. Oh yeah, uh, her to do that is like, come on. In my opinion, like certain characters should be acting different. I want to see a character like, nah, you know, it's all right, you know, yeah, just leave the door closed, right. Okay. Because, like, I guess at the, even at the beginning of the film, right, this character doesn't, I only think, show up after, right? Where this character is in the uh, grocery store. They're sweeping, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is just, you know, a little thing. But I think it added personality, okay? <laughs> Where the, the, you know, they're taking a break. They open up an orange juice or something like that. Yeah, because he's working in a supermarket. And uh, he basically drinks it and then puts it back, right? I, I was, I said even before he did it, like, please put it back. Please put it back, you know? Just because it was like... It's it's a little character thing that like it's so small, but it adds I feel like so much. And I think if John Carpenter was willing to add that to like this, you know, nobody, you know, basically, yeah, right. he should have been thinking about okay, maybe this character doesn't open the door the same way mm. as another character should. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Maybe to play more into that like realism and that realistic approach of what characters would. Or not characters or actual people would do. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. I think that's a. I think like if we could, if he could give that much attention to that little thing yeah. in the beginning, then why couldn't he done it for something else? Right, because like uh, I guess for the like the babysitter aspect, you would think that they'd be just a little bit more careful, quote unquote, right? Right, more cautious. Who's at the door? But right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If but if, she kind of was because remember how she even told. Um, Oh man, what's the kid's name? Oh man, I'm I'm losing the kid's name. I remember you were kind of like calling him Danny throughout the. Oh uh, the, yeah, only the because film. only because of the <laughs> the shining. The, well, that and the plank that he finds, it's like says. Dane? Oh, it says Dane. So I was like, I just shortened it to Danny because he reminded me yeah, of that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the Andy. Uh, that's the kid's his name. name. Andy. 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 Okay. So it's close. Yeah. There you <laughs> um. So. The uh, she calls him away, I guess, right? Just right. Like, she tells she tells Andy that like, oh, you know, go to your room, go to your room, and I'm gonna check the door. So I mean, she did have this this uh, you know that feeling of cautiousness at that at that moment. I guess I I just I'm like you know I don't think you should like you know fully went into the you know. She even said to like you know close the windows. She even did that's that too. Yeah. Well, but no, yeah. that's more for the fog, not for who's at the door. Oh, right. It could also be like we gotta keep in mind that maybe this is just a small town and like oh you know nothing happens here. Nothing happens in small towns. Right. So like oh even uh, Nancy Loomis' character said that though, right? 
she's like when they had a, she had a conversation with Janet Lee that uh, basically something happens in this town. Uh, one thing happens one night in this town, this whole town goes crazy. Oh, right. So maybe that could play into that factor where nothing actually happens. Mm, that's a good point to bring up too. No, yeah, that's true because, yeah, she was even making like that whole like, you know, that big deal about it that, uh, yeah, like, you know, everything's going just wrong. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. And that that vibe almost even comes off too, especially like with uh, KEB and like the... You can already tell from just like that, that like just the radio station itself feels like it's it's um, well established radio station, and you can already tell like what vibes it gives off of this carefree. Listen to the radio, and we're gonna all be good. And that all all those feelings come off from the from the radio station and Stevie Wayne. So why wouldn't that be the same vibe for the town? You know, right? Hmm. Good point. I didn't even like, I, I I didn't even think about like that idea of we have to remember that this is the small town and who's ever going to think that something bad's going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, it's just a possibility, right? Let's get into Father Malone (laughs) and Blake and his men (laughs) and the story. What did you think about like the journal and the fact that Father Malone is tied to the like beginnings of Blake and then uh, Father Malone's grandfather who actually or like great grandfather actually interacted with uh, Blake and his men? So I'm a fan of like uh, the character. I like but the actual like act of like... uh, the whole story i am not a big fan of why like uh it's classic you know going back to like this nostalgic classic feel but it's so much like uh um i want to say like in that cliche where it's like oh uh, we built on this ancient you know indian burial ground or something like that right oh, and that's yeah. what caused this curse or whatnot stuff like that right it goes into like that like whole idea and i'm like for me, it's kind of like it's it's a little it, it it falls into that stereotype, in my opinion, and it's kind of like uh, okay, like uh, should we punish you know the sins of their you know ancestors on the people now? And it's like okay, how this whole like mysterious thing happened, you know? I guess like oh, because the, the 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 church people you know were involved with. Uh, this murder so like now it's like dealing with you know devil arts you know whatever you want to call them right uh, and that's how this whole stuff is happening just to like we can go back to peace you know everything's supposed to be fine uh we're not supposed to like shift the balance of things you know and for me it's like it delved into like that uh, uh those stereotypes in my opinion so um I'm a little confused because you said like like the devil arts or whatever. The the group wasn't. I don't know what you were trying to say about. Well, the I'm group. saying like I'm saying like it's supposed to be like this demonic entity. No, it's no, because the the whole 
No, no, there's not. There's not like a demonic entity there or at play, because the whole the whole story, and maybe you just didn't catch this, and that and that's okay, um, or maybe I'm mistaken. But the whole idea with the story, honestly, I liked it. This backstory with the the I don't know if it's the grandfather or the great grandfather of Father Malone, but it's because the the Blake and his men came. They needed the they needed a place to stay and half of their their um, their treasures and their gold to stay there, but during that time, Father Malone and people from Antonio Bay had come up with an idea in order to take over Blake and his men and essentially murder them for the gold. Yeah, so, so they, they, could, they could build the whole Antonio Bay and stuff that they needed. Yeah, for mostly the church and everything, but there's no demonic thing. No, about no, no. It. It, it's not about. It's not about no 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 no. Uh, I think you're misunderstanding. Like I, I'm saying that this like uh, it's this whole idea that because something bad happened in this uh, moment in time, it caused some sort of uh, dark power, whatever you want to call it, right? Oh, okay. To come up and basically right the wrongs, quote unquote. Okay, okay. And I think that whole idea is goes into that stereotypes of like the the whole you know. We yeah, did something sure. wrong right. a whole long time ago, and now it's coming back to you know punish us. to punish us. Okay, that in my mind is a stereotype, in my opinion. Okay, and sure, it's like a classic idea, and I think it. I like the characters involved with it, but for me, it's it's a little bit too uh, plain, and I'm not like the biggest fan of those uh, scenarios. Okay, th- that makes sense. I think at least at the very least. What I did like about it, though, is the fact that Father Malone is kind of the one who's uh, informing the rest of the characters about it. Mm-hmm. And again, if it had it, if it been like anybody else, I don't think we would have believed it as much. Just the way he read the journal was felt for me something like I could actually get behind. Something where I was just like, "Oh no, the like the people back then screwed up, and now." the ancestors are getting the blame for it or getting punished for it at least Mm -hmm. because Blake and his men are returning all these like years later. And uh, I was like, oh no, like now what do we do? But I just love the delivery from Father Malone and the actor himself. Love the delivery of it and it made me feel like, like I'm scared about this presence that's coming and what are we going to be able to do to stop it? If anything, I do like how his character kind of like accepted it in some ways because I feel as if, Usually, it's one of those cases where they try to combat it, you know, and then it just happens anyway or whatever. And this was like an interesting take, possibly, where I was like, this this guy is just ready for it, you know? Yeah, he's like, let me just answer for these sins. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that, yeah, that, that is a good point to bring up, that, like, he didn't even, like, try to, um, you know, um, fight it in any way, really. Mm. Or at least... Yeah, no, I was going to say, at least not at first, but really, there was never a point yeah, where he I did. I don't think I at all. He's like, okay, so then we did wrong, you know, and hopefully that, you know, they can atone for it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I kind of, I was okay, I was okay with that story, with the background story of Blake and his men, um, you know, coming back to not necessarily haunt the town, but um, get after, like, go and get back at those people who conspired against them all those years ago to steal their gold so mm-hmm. those pirates need their gold man <laughs> i guess yeah 
Uh, I guess just like obviously, you know, with the whole backstory with it, it's it's a bad thing that they did or whatnot. Oh so. yeah, definitely. But uh, I do want to talk about you know when they do come into contact, basically, right? And like it's this golden cross, you know, that they have to basically give off to Blake and his men or whatever. Yeah, and uh, just the whole idea of like. The, uh, Father Malone had showed no fear. I know <laughs> it was so it was, it so, was awesome. so funny. It was like, and then when they you know touched it, it was like, oh man, you know he's seen everything. You know it was like everything was changing. It, right, the cross like uh, like it was uh, glowing and it was just like smoking. Even oh man, it, it was an awesome moment. Yeah, uh, geez, yeah. I remember when I saw the moment too. I was like, wow, this is this is a lot. And I was like, this one, this moment is kind of like. This moment could have been like on the verge of cheesy. I think it was more funny than cheesy. Yeah, I still felt like it worked for the film. Yeah, I thought it was more funny. Yeah, I thought it was more funny, but I thought it was still fine. Um, yeah, I think there was a lot of moments where it was just like really feeding into the nostalgia. Then like, um, again, just like with classic styles of John Carpenter, or at least things that you saw in a film like Halloween and then seeing things kind of like come back a little bit in this one. I'm like, uh, so yeah, yeah. I want to say like, uh, since like everything got like resolved or whatnot and everything was like, okay, we, we, uh, got rid of the fog and they had this like moments in time where like, you know, hopefully just doesn't come back and it was a good like end line whatnot. Yeah. It was from Stevie. Yeah. Uh, another great monologue by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I would say though it's just a uh, this didn't need to happen. This is the worst part of the film, in my opinion. Like it totally was unnecessary. You know, Father Father Malone did nothing wrong. Please, you know, <laughs> it's like they should have spared him, in my opinion. I don't think, I don't think it added anything with killing him in the end. Uh, like, uh, sure, it made sense. Like, oh, he needed to kill the six people or whatever they said uh, he had to do, right? Right. But, like, uh, I don't know. We had this whole moment, you know, and uh, we kind of understood the character to some degree, right? Or at least, like, we, I, I feel as if most people would be, like, uh, okay with him. Sure. And, yeah, I guess, I guess, like, it just didn't need to happen. I think we could have ended at the monologue and just, oh, okay, the scary thing happened and, you know, that's end, it. end the movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was a little strange that that came in. It almost kind of felt like this last minute or like a deleted scene that just made its way back in the mm-hmm. film somehow. I did feel I did feel like it was a little out of place, I guess, except for the fact that the entire time, like we were saying, it felt like Father Malone was already ready to face the death and the consequences. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, even, even after when he closed the door and walked back in his church, he was thinking to himself like, you know, Oh man, why not me? It's almost like at that point he just wanted death. So that was a little strange. So then I was like, uh, and then, and then, you know, it obviously happens. So at least like it lines up with that. But like you're saying, we had this moment and do we really need do we really need that? I'm saying like it also like adds character to the Blake people, right? Like Blake and his men, you know, like sure he was supposed to give, uh, he's supposed to get six people or whatnot. Right. And if they really wanted to kill him, they should have just killed him at the time with the, the holes in the cross or whatever. Yeah. And that should have been that, right? But okay. the fact that he lived throughout 
uh, he lived to after that fax. Yeah. And uh, uh, they all went away. I think it would have added like this interesting, okay, why didn't they? Like, oh, well, or he was a good person, quote unquote, maybe, right? Right. And the fact that he was, uh, you know, taken, it's like, come on. I mean, uh, like you said, it felt like a deleted scene that probably shouldn't have been there. Yeah, somehow must have made its way back in the film. But yeah, it is what it is. And uh, it, it probably wasn't the greatest scene and probably didn't need to be included. But yeah, it was still a... Like, yeah, poor, poor father below. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, I also do want to talk about it, like, with, in regards to Blake and his men, the thing that I really did like about the fog and this idea of like, you know, Blake and his men, like coming to, you know, kill the respective people that they needed to. It was really interesting, just like Halloween, where we really don't ever see much of the threat like we see the fog it's always personified within the fog but we don't really see blake and his men until the end and even then we don't really see them it's really just what we confer is like shapes and shadows and presumably skeletons of or like you know rotting flesh of some kind of the of blake and his men because we really don't see them until the very end we really just see their hands, their shadows, like hidden inside of the fog. And that's really it. And I appreciate that that level of keeping the audience in suspense and not really knowing what the, this threat looks like except for the fog that and the fog that glows. And it took me back to like the ideas of Halloween where we just really, we didn't even see Michael Myers for a majority of the film until the end. And I like that payoff. I like that that style of pacing. Do you think it was a good idea to like have it take on like a physical human form in some cases? Like the fact that we did see, you know, these skeleton people, whatever you know want to call them. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, do you think it was a good thing? Like uh, I'm saying, like you know, we call it the fog, but why couldn't it have just been the fog? You know, did we need to have see people? I kind of question, like, would that have changed the whole uh, feeling to it? You know, let's say there wasn't people, right? Okay. And whatever killed them was literally just this fog presence, like they inhaled or something like that, right? Yeah. See, or like they were taken into the shadows and we didn't see anything. Mm, okay. Like, does that change stuff? Like, I wonder, I wonder why... Why choose to have people or like people looking objects, you know, into the fog, taking out people? Yeah. I feel like if we just kept it as the fog, I think, I think that would have been harder to get behind. I think the I think the inclusion with people being with inside the fog, it leads us to, um, like, obviously we see the fog as a threat but I guess the idea of just like the, the fog being the only thing. And like you're saying, let's say the idea is if people inhale the fog or get engulfed by it, they're dead or something. That's a little harder to sell okay. to the audience and because now we have to, now we have to kind of get into the idea of like science fiction and like, we have to say, 
you know, these are the properties of the fog and it's like poison or something. We All have, right, like how much can you take in before you're dead? Right. Scenarios. And then, yeah. So it kind of loses the mystique once we get more information about it. Right. So if we just leave it as just, it's the fog that is engulfing the, the town and it's essentially the, it's the, it's the way we can have that hidden presence of the real threat and... I think that's a lot more effective. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that it's probably easier to like uh, showcase like when uh, like death is happening, quote unquote. Because right. like, yeah, if uh, if it was just the fog, you know, like we don't know if they, oh, is this too much? Is this too much? But like, I'm pretty sure, like you know, a blow to the head by some some you know sword right. is enough. Okay, it's yeah, gonna, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> you right, know? that's gonna be enough. Right. See, I feel like the fog works as. It's that same like extension that the night plays for Michael Myers in Halloween. He hides within the shadows of the night, whereas like the like Blake and his men hide within the fog, mm-hmm. and that's their extension of them that they can utilize. And it's better that way. And like I'm saying, it was better that way that we just never really saw them because they were inside of the fog, and we don't really see them, and that's great. Um, because if we can't see the real threats because they're hidden behind something else, then how are we supposed to protect ourselves? And it also adds is, uh, they can cover a whole lot more distance to that too. Right. Um, see, that's what I like seeing from, uh, John Carpenter and the fact that like we have like these similar themes within Halloween and the fog, but he did change things like uh, like we're saying like it's not just one individual you know being um but it's like this uh it's like other things too like like what we're saying that like it was it's more supernatural obviously than what halloween was but it's still very grounded in my opinion because just of like the dialogue and characters and yeah and just the radio personality the, the fact that we use the radio is just so good. Oh, man. I absolutely love that. It's like like the minute when I think Stevie Wayne at one point said like uh, like it's exactly six minutes or like 12 minutes after midnight. And I was like, what a great line. It's such a simple thing. But having that line, it's like, you know, oh, man. It, what, what a way to set the tone for a horror film. Right. So, uh Final thoughts, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for me, I liked it a lot. I know from doing some research that apparently there's a remake of this this film. 2005, I believe. I think so, and I bet it's trash. I bet it's so <laughs> bad. And again, I bet you that they over-explain things. They may say something about like, oh man, the fog has like these chemical properties or something like that, and and then there's Blake's men. I, I'm willing to bet that they made it more complicated than what the original was probably i bet you there was a whole lot more deaths like we only got six you know in this original they probably like annihilated the entire town and <laughs> i don't know probably maybe we're, maybe we're a little too harsh to them but you know remakes of uh that caliber i guess you know <laughs> they never work out yeah yeah but for me the biggest thing i just really loved the the i like the characters i love how the dialogue just feels so natural and the and the actors like just deliver it in such a way where I just believe them, and 
love the radio especially. It's my favorite part. Love the character interactions with each other. Um, love how like that this presence of the fog is just something that's so normal, but we we just don't really know what we can do and like what it can do. So once it becomes a threat, it's just something that you're like, oh man, like wh- like what could it be? And that's that's what's great because we can leave that to the people's imaginations. Uh, the music's so good. John Carpenter, like with his classic synth-based work. Yeah, it's pretty good. Huge fan. I absolutely love the theme from this film. Love his music. Um, yeah, it just for, for me, it's definitely like another like top film of uh, uh, for the master of horror himself. Um, I like its, its feeling, you know, going back to like the nostalgic old school ghost storytelling you know it's like it's if that's what it feels like you know right a ghost story in a book of many stories you know um and i think it perfectly captures that idea if it was going for that you know yeah um uh also like you said the music's pretty good uh other than that like i like characters and again going back to that whole feeling their whole interactions i think that's the the good parts about uh the fog i would say though you know like uh, going back to like i think it does have like an uh uh, old stereotype of like the curse idea right and uh that i'm not too big a fan only because like i guess it didn't do a whole lot to like differentiate itself from like uh that idea besides like father malone's like activity towards it yeah uh, but besides that, like I think it's uh, it's definitely like a short, digestible, easy to watch, and like a, uh, I guess a better like this is what horror sh- probably should be, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it's it's I don't want to see you know like like the typical slashers, you know, stuff yeah. like that. This is what we sh- horror should go back to probably these like short stories. Maybe we don't have to have like. You know, the 19 billion time, you know, how did Jason get to space? You know, yeah, we exactly. don't need to go ridiculous, can't be that scenario, right? We don't need that. We just need simple uh, ghost stories, you know, simple stuff that, uh, you know, everybody can like possibly, you know, be afraid of in some aspects. I completely but, agree. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be like prom night. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be like that, that movie. Yeah. We don't need, you know... Uh, to, like thousands and billions of stories on teenagers, you know, getting, you know, something, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, exactly. Come on, we're past this. We're past this. See, I, I do recommend to people listening, I do recommend uh, do watch Prom Night and, you know, have fun with that. It is entertaining, but it's a really bad movie. Do watch that and then go from something like that and then go and watch The Fog. You can clearly see the difference and they were made in the same year. Like you can clearly see the difference between a storyteller versus someone who's just like going like to the stereotypes. And it just, if you, if you can clearly see, you should be able to clearly see the difference. And it's just, it's crazy. And I'm just like, wow, John Carpenter is a storyteller. And you know, that, that that's all you need really. Classic ghost stories. Yeah. So there we have it. John Carpenter's American supernatural horror film, The Fog. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The End Credits. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The End Credits Podcast and over on Twitter at The End Credits. If you're watching the video version, make sure to subscribe to The End Credits YouTube channel. That's it. Thank you and goodbye.